The scripture this morning is from the first chapter of Acts, beginning in verse 6. The setting is this. Jesus has died, and after he rose from the dead, he spent 40 days teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. As he prepares to leave them, that's where we pick up the story. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, is it at this time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times and the dates that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. One of the things that some of you have heard me say before, and that is that I think the whole Bible can really be summarized in, in some ways into two words. The first word is come. Come to God through Christ. Develop the intimate relationship with Christ in community and with the community. And you'll remember when Jesus called the disciples, the very first thing Mark says is he called them to be with him. And then as they were with him, then came the second part. So the first word is come. The second part is probably go. The Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And then this morning's text, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We mentioned last Sunday that a couple of ways that, uh, that we thought about uh, this church as we moved here 20 years ago. One was uh, the way I think of it, which is sort of like a midwife or, or even a womb that brings in and gives birth to new things that God wants to do in and through and for his world. And then the other metaphor we talked about was a launching pad and that from here. We'll go into Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. The various things that God has to uh, help his people be at home and to help make this earth a place where God can feel at home. And so we want to talk a little bit about um, some of the ways that's happened in the last 20 years. And so I've asked uh, uh, Pastor uh, Scott Hare of our Riverside campus and Pastor uh, Michael Crocker uh, of our New Heights community to come and join me. And we'll have uh, a dialogue about that for a few minutes. They applauded for us in New Heights. Just saying. <laughs> they did. <laughs> You've got the mic in Jerusalem. So, uh, yeah, Scott and I had a draft to see which we would talk about. Neither of us wanted Samaria. I got to pick first, and my draft didn't turn out so well. So I'll be speaking about Jerusalem and Samaria in a moment. Uh, but Jerusalem seems to fit. Because 15 years ago, as, as Bob said last week in here, and David was just talking about, when, when God calls us to go in these places, it takes risks. And it takes courage to take a step from Travis Park to a little community that was just kind of growing and bubbling. It was a risk for the community of Broadway, our church, to say, we need to grow and God is calling us to move beyond where we are and what we've always known and come to this campus. Fifteen years ago, this month, it took a great risk for David to say Scott Hare should be in charge of his own worship service and created new heights. 
15 years ago this month is our celebration of New Heights as well. And one of the things that we've done is we've gone down the hall into the New Heights sanctuary and, and into Jerusalem is continue to take risks. Continue to take risks to believe that God is going to move in ways that we can't comprehend. One of the ways that he did so was through a woman whose name is Libby Biebinger. Her precious mother, Sylvia, is here somewhere. I saw her walk in. I don't know where she is now, but she's here. Libby, if you knew Libby, you loved her because she had that personality. She grew up here in Alma Heights, went to Alma Heights High School the same year as Debbie Chesney. Debbie says she, is one of, she was one of the most outgoing people she ever knew. And for Debbie to say something like that, <laughs> holy Toledo, right? She had an amazing sense of humor. She was just one of those people you wanted to be around. But she had ALS. And ALS, many, many years ago, took her voice. It took her physical voice, but through this laborious effort with a computer, she could look at letters and then they would then transfer into something. She had this great, wickedly uh, funny sense of humor, and she would take a long time, 10, 15 minutes to tell you a one-line joke, um, but it was always worth it for her to get the reaction and for you as well. ALS also took her body. As you know, ALS begins to just shut the body down. And and so when she started coming to New Heights, she was in a wheelchair laid out because she couldn't even sit up. But she came. She loved New Heights. We have a little section in the back of our sanctuary that we called the Libby Zone. Because when she would roll in with her mom and one of her um, nurses, we would move chairs around. And that was where Libby was going to be. One of the things that she said to a few of us before, uh, a few weeks before she went to go be with Jesus was she wanted to stand in our sanctuary and worship. She wanted to stand in New Heights and worship. And we all thought to ourselves, but you can't stand. But Libby wasn't convinced of that. She needed to take a risk. And so it was one Sunday, um, that I was up front and I was worshiping and Daryl, Dr. Daryl was standing there trying to get my attention and he keeps doing this and motioning with his guitar. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? And I finally figure out he wants me to look down the center aisle. So I walk around and I look down the center aisle and I see Libby standing both hands raised to heaven. On one side is Joel Harris supporting her. On the other is Ryan Jacobson supporting her and all around her was our community just on their hands and knees, people reaching out. Even my daughter, Grace, walks over and she puts a hand out to her. I've always said that Grace didn't know what was going on, but I know better than that. It was amazing to see that moment that she got to stand and worship God. It was because of the risk taken by David to go down the hall and let Scott and people like me run that service and run that community. It was because of your faithful support that that community happened and that the movement of the spirit that began on that day when Libby stood, it changed who we were. It changed who we are. That was for sure a standing stone is a story we remember and it shapes who we are going forward. Yeah. And as, as I did last time I heard that prayer um, story, I just feel like if it's okay, if we could pray. 
And so, Father, um, we're grateful for Olivia, for her life. We're also grateful for how her story speaks into our own hearts and asks, you know, are we willing to stand? Can we find the impossible? And as a community, can we celebrate the miraculous? Allow us to have standing stones that we tell with joy to all that we know. And to continue to pour out your spirit as you did through her life into this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Michael so um, beautifully speaks about the shaping and the power uh, that's going on in Jerusalem, thinking about what does it mean to reach out to the people across the table and maybe across the street um, and with great power. And it's just fun to think about like where that all started and all the power and beauty and the stories that you've led. Um, and with the team, it's been a great thing to, to watch. Um, for me, I get to speak about Judea. And Judea uh, really is those people that are like you, but you don't know them yet. Uh, they, you know, you think you probably would connect with them. They're just kind of beyond uh, your table or your neighborhood. Uh, and so I have to tell you what's really true, and that is uh, while we live about 40 minutes north, the reality is the people that are out there are much like you. Um, they just have a little more redneck in them. <laughs> And they would embrace that, and they would all nod like this. Um, and so would I. Um, but it, it's wonderful because one of the things that you think about with Riverside uh, is that it is a place where people invest deeply in the Bible, in their families, want to have open hearts and open homes, and want to impact their community through leadership uh, and love. And so for me, it feels like the Judea of this Jerusalem. It feels like a place where, as I was at the, a football game, a Smithson Valley football game, uh, the other night with uh, my son, uh, he was commenting on how many people from Riverside were in leadership, either at the school or all these other kinds of things. It was kind of funny to watch. It was a homecoming, and all of our folks were in charge of something somewhere. Uh, and knowing I was headed here, I thought, well, that's the same thing here. You can't go to many events, not only in this area, but also in this city, and not know that someone from this place has their hand on it. And um, it's an amazing thing to think about how that kind of flows uh, itself out. Um, another thing about Judea, just as a personal story, even this week, was um, here we are out you know, on the edge of the hill country in the city. And um, there's this uh, thing we do called the Tell, which is uh, a wonderful Wednesday night uh, thing where we come in and we're, we're teaching the Older Testament right now, which I'm super excited about. What's most of you be surprised. Um, but one of the things that you're doing also is you should check it out in your program. I saw it very well articulated is a thing called the bridge. Uh, Michael is your connection for that. Come on Wednesday night, 630. Um, there'll be food, um, all kinds of great stuff. But we have a similar thing called the tell out north. And um, I saw as the crowd came in, there were two in the back, a mom and a teenage daughter. And the reason they stuck out was because usually there are cooler things for a teenage daughter to be <laughs> at than me 45 minutes um, with my own excitement about uh, Genesis. And anyway, so I paid attention. I tried to at the end get around to sort of apologize and say, you need to know John. You need to be out doing the kid thing and all this stuff. And when I got to the back, they were gone. And I just went, oh. Gosh, you know, and then I looked forward and I realized as I went around to get to the back, they had come to the front looking for me. And so I went around, I, I got through the friends and sat down with them and started to talk. 
And here is this woman. She's an investment banker. I saw her later drive away in her red uh, nail polish colored Cadillac. Um, And she is in leadership not only in her business but in our area and um, is brilliant, interesting, and an invested parent interested in the generations to come. And I started thinking, wow, this is definitely Judea. And what she said to me was this. She said, all my life people have been telling me that I should go to church. And I've never gone. I've come here and I feel like I'm at home. And man, I got to tell you, as a pastor, you're like, leadership. Oh, my goodness. Um, But the truth is, that's what I hear here. Often people will come and they will say, for the first time, I feel at home. For Pioneer, first time I'm at home. Asbury, first time I'm at home. There's so many different things that we might be different. The thing that seems to draw us together is this place, this hospitality, this home that is a part of this place's DNA. And so we make home just like you, just with folks that are a lot like you, they're just a little farther away. Samaria. So the Samaritans, if, when you think of going to Samaria, it is going to people that you dislike. People that maybe you know, but you dislike very intensely because of their differences with you. Um, think of it as um, an Aggie ministering to a Longhorn, if you will. Um, and it should be no surprise to you, those of you who heard my three sermons, what my Samaritan moment is. It's about strippers. Um, we, had, uh, we have a ministry here called Jesus Said Love. And it is a ministry that began in Waco. And it has really been very successful in Waco, so much so it was began by one of uh, Dr. Smith's friends, and he uh, connected us with her. We launched the San Antonio Antonio chapter here. It's a ministry that goes into uh, strip clubs, three different strip clubs that our ministry team works with. It's a group of women that go into the club. A group of men stay outside in the parking lot and pray for those women who go forward and go in. But basically what it is, is the history of the church, people like the ones who work inside those buildings have really been looked down upon. We've, in fact, probably cast stones at them verbally and maybe even physically in some respects. But we have always said that you are not like us. You're bad. End of story. What this ministry does is it goes into these girls' lives and says, we're sorry for the way that we have talked to you in the past. You're a daughter of God. You are loved by God. And we love you too. That's it. There's no, will you pray this prayer with me? There's no, would you come to church with me on Sunday? It may come to that. But what it's about is these women hearing that they are loved by God. The same thing that we get to hear on a Sunday basis, that you are a son, you are a daughter of the Most High God. These girls never hear. From this ministry, Rick's Cabaret is one of the, uh, the establishments that we work with. There have been quite a few girls who have come out from under the oppression of that job because they have now understood that they're loved. Not because the ministry team went in there and said, here's what you're doing wrong. Because they know. 
here's where you're a failure. But because these women have gone in there and said, here's where you're amazing. Here's where you're loved. Here is a truth that you need to know. You are a daughter. It is amazing to see the ministry that happens there. We send teams once a month during the high holy days, um, Christian-wise anyway. I guess we should send a Sukkot basket mm-hmm. now, um, Ryan. Uh, we, we get these baskets together, and we send things to them, and they're blown away by the generosity of, of a church. If you want more information about that, Ryan Jacobson is sitting over there in that transit He's very hairy, um, has a big beard, uh, and uh, he would love to give you more information about that. Thank you, Michael. Okay. You know, I, I, I love most about that, just thinking about what you said, is the idea that ultimately you can't really find any freedom by doing anything or understanding anything. Or, well, you have to know love in order to love even yourself. I was sitting there thinking about the only way that like, those girls can break out is they've never known love outside of something that someone else, okay? So I just, I'm really moved by that always and appreciative uh, of Ryan and all those that lead. So to finish, we're talking about the ends of the earth. And um, I've, I've thrown an audible each time, so here we go. Um, the ends of the earth are really those places in where you can't even imagine like you could get like places you didn't even know people existed. And one of the questions that I think every church has to ask diagnostically about itself is if you didn't exist, who would care? Is it the people that come on Sunday morning? Cause they'll find another place. What matters about what you do? You know, what would shake if your church closed its doors? And one of the things that I do regularly as a pastor is to think about that. I think we all do. And, and what I love to invest my mind in is this idea that truly because of the investment this church makes, uh, both denominationally here in all the different places that we call home uh, at Riverside and all the different things that go out for mission from there, literally there would be points of light all over the world that would go out if this church didn't continue uh, to do the work of God uh, and invest worldwide. It is a big deal and probably should be something we should invest even more in. Um, But there's a great beauty that comes with the ends of the earth. But I remember, I don't know, 15 plus years ago that um, we used to go and still have some friends in Guyana, South America. And I remember... Uh, Michael Crocker and I were in a tribal village, about four rivers, three lakes, a hundred boats, and a whole lot of darkness. Uh, we slept on school rooms. I remember desks. That's right. We slept on school desks uh, and talked to each other so that we didn't hear the scary animals that were coming to eat us in the middle of the night. And we shared the gospel in a firelight and saw people on the edges of the light. Uh, the next morning, we got into a boat, and uh, Michael had very darkly taught them all gigam Aggies. <laughs> it was very upsetting. But I remember that uh, once we got out of the boat, because it was so muddy and rainy, our ride couldn't find us, and we didn't know how we were going to get back. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we bailed out the boat. We got back over there. The boat left us, and it was the two of us in the Guyanese jungle in the Amazon 
walking in about six inches of mud, trying to find our way as guys with machetes were walking by. And what I remember about that is your calling, um, our investment, chapters and chapters of love and hope. And all of the stories that have come up out of your ministry as you have been uh, fathering pastor to us. And it's just huge. I think we can talk beautifully about these things. We really can. But every once in a while, I think we need to just stop and say, this is well beyond us. This has been story after story that we'll never know. And this is trying to figure out how do you get somewhere you've never been from a place you didn't know in six inches of mud with a friend that's hearing a call and you hear it too. How do you walk those out over and over and over? And it's just been such a blessing to know what it means to be going to the ends of the earth and to do it with all of you. It was at that point I realized it was better to be the sender than the sendee <laughs> at times. Uh, Robert Ortiz is not with us this morning. Robert is the pastor of our Asbury campus. He is in school at United Seminary in Dayton, Ohio, which, by the way, may have the premier um, process by which trying, trying to help predominantly Anglo churches understand and reach the Hispanic culture. So it's really neat that Robert's there. But I got the opportunity two weeks ago to spend a weekend at Asbury preaching on a Saturday night. Uh, and then on a Sunday morning, and, and I just want to tell you a couple of things that I got to experience. Um, the first one is this. The background of Asbury, as you know, is two years ago when we first came in, it was uh, 12 people on the roll, eight usually in attendance, average age, 88 years old, uh, all Anglo, uh, meeting in a community uh, with whom they had no relationship um, at all. Uh, it's not because they didn't want one. They just didn't know how and, and energy and uh, resources were not available um, to them. But I have to tell you, um, when I was there two weeks ago preaching, uh, there were no longer eight. There were um, more than 60. And this is on a Labor Day um, weekend. There were about 60 percent Hispanic, uh, 40 percent Anglo, uh, sitting not apart from each other, but with each other. There was a woman who was a man who was 93 years old and his wife, who was 92. But there were also a couple babies. I want to tell you about one of the babies. Uh, actually, I want to tell you about her mom. A couple years ago, entering uh, as she got ready to enter her uh, senior year at high school, she had a problem uh, because she was pregnant um, out of wedlock. Uh, she no longer her school uniform didn't fit. And if you don't have a school uniform in that school district, you don't go to school. Uh, so somehow the social worker at the school connected her with Asbury. They not only provided her uniforms, but uh, one of our pastors there, Susan, uh, and other women, and Janet uh, Weatherston, other women began to pour uh, themselves into her. They took her shopping. Uh, they, they talked with her. They, they mentored her. And uh, I have to tell you that on that particular Sunday, I was there two weeks ago, she was there. Her baby was there, and they were both baptized at the same time about four months ago. Um, and that was really neat. Uh, but the night before that, I was for the, there at the Pioneer service. Pioneer is a worship service for people in recovery from addictions. The vast majority are um, alcohol 
but there are other kinds of addictions that are represented there. And uh, when when the uh, service uh, was over, which is unlike any service you've been in the community, I mean, it is real. I mean, there's not they don't hide from one another. And, and you know who they are and what they are and what they are battling. And they're clear about that and their need for God. And they're clear about their need for each other. But uh, when it finished, um, I walked out and, and met some people who thanked me. In fact, one man thanked me and Dinah told me he probably would because he had thanked Dinah uh, two weeks before when she had preached there. Uh, and, and I appreciated that. But as I made my way to the car, somebody caught me in the parking lot. And this is what he said to me. He said, I am so glad that someone from your church was here. He had not been there when Dinah had been there two weeks earlier. He said, I just need you to know this. That your church, through this worship service, saved my life. And I want you to go back and tell them. So I'm here to tell you about a life that God saved through you. But I'm also here to tell you, I think as we look around in the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth which, with which we are all involved, my strong suspicion is his life is not the only one that has been saved. I bet there are many others. And I bless God for you. Amen.